0: Uh, We're reading from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness.
1: Turning your vials now to Galatians, page 1169. Paul's writing, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. So again, I ask, does God give his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you heard. So, Abraham, sorry, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Christ. What I mean um, is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not, For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe.
2: Well, this week... I received an email from a guy called Dr. Bakari Tunda. It was such an emotional email. Uh, It was about his cousin, a Nigerian astronaut, abandoned on a secret Soviet space station in 1990. This poor man has been stranded in space for 29 years. Uh, The dissolution of the Soviet Union meant that he was left behind. It's so sad, isn't it? It's terrible. And he wants to come home, and all he needed for me was bank details. And he had $15 million US of unused salary that he was going to put into my account so it could be paid to the Soviets to rescue him, and they would give me $3 million dollars. Um, I didn't want to hold this this wonderful blessing to myself. Uh, So, um, Paul, I hope you don't mind I gave the church bank details. Uh, (laughs) You've all seen them, haven't you? Here he is. Bring him home. Uh, No, I didn't actually get the email. This is a fairly notorious Nigerian internet scam uh, that is there. But you get them, don't they? People make offers to you and they offer to give you blessings You've just got to work out, can you trust them? Can you put your faith in the promise that has actually been made? Now, we've been looking through Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul, one of the early missionaries or messengers of Jesus Christ, his letter that he wrote to some churches in Galatia. And at the heart of it is this question about a promise of blessing, And how you get that. And Paul had been talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus or the good news of Jesus Christ that said that that blessing was found through faith in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. But others had come along and said, no, 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 no. We like Jesus, but you've got to do all this other stuff as well. And so we have this conflict that is there, that is raging in this letter. And you can tell Paul's tone is a little exasperated. Rick read for us, you foolish Galatians. It's Paul's crankiest letter, I think, uh, up there with Corinthians uh, that is there. He's frustrated. He's frustrated because these people are taking away uh, the, the good news that is the gospel, And Paul is coming back and says, no, 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 no. It's all about Jesus Christ alone. It's all about grace alone. It is freely given. It is undeserved. It is unearned. It is God's grace to us. And it is received through faith alone. And faith is really the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Because if you are going to have faith in someone, you want to know what you're trusting. You want to know whether this, uh, this lovely Nigerian doctor is really going to put $15 million in your bank account or suck it dry. You want to know whether the real, the blessing that is promised is real or whether it's just a figment of your imagination. We need to ask those questions of every gospel that promises blessing as well as the gospel that lies at the heart of the Christian message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So I've got four points for you this morning. We're going to talk about faith and spirit. We're going to talk about faith and law. We're going to talk about foundation for faith and faith and freedom. So you've got an idea. Faith is fairly important this morning. Yes, let's get into it. Faith and spirit. See, Paul is here and there is this dispute between these teachers that are coming in and saying, you've got to have the works of the law alongside the Christian gospel. Jesus, yes, but you've got to have circumcision. Jesus, yes, but you've got to have Sabbath. Jesus, yes, but you've got to have the dietary laws. You've got to have the marks of Old Testament Judaism alongside Jesus's death and resurrection. And this creates this tension. How is the Christian life entered? How is it lived? How is it brought to fulfillment? Is it by faith? Trust? Or is it by law? By keeping the rules? Was the gospel this I obey? And so I am accepted. That's what these teachers were saying. Yes, 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 Jesus is okay, but you've got to keep the rules. You've got to tick the boxes. And if you want the blessing that God promises that's there through the Old Testament, you have to keep all the rules. That's what they were saying. That's how salvation came. And you see that. Not just in the teaching of Galatians, but it's there in every human religious system. The basic fundamental, and can I include Christianity in this? And I want to make a distinction, just be warning, between a true biblical Christianity and a Christianity that is out there in the world and alive, actually slowly dying, I think. Uh, We see this because if you hear a message, these are the rules... And if you keep them, you will be blessed. So, if you're a a Muslim, there are the five pillars of Islam that you are expected to obey. They are required of you. The Buddhist walks the Eightfold Path, the Mormon knocks on your door to earn his way, her way to heaven. It is all by works, it is keeping the rules, it is being good enough. And then God will bless you, however you see God. But maybe you're sitting there going, yes, you silly religious people, okay. But can I just say, this is how every secular source of blessing works as well. Look at the self-help books, the seven habits of this, the five steps to that. The one I love is the uh, the book on how to cure your addiction to self-help books. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. But you see it. The gospel's out there saying blessing can be found through education. Well, yes, but only if you get the right marks. And then, and then, and then, it all depends on you. It comes back to you. It's your responsibility. And if you don't get there, if you fall short, it's your fault. But Paul is bending over backwards to say, that is not how biblical Christianity works. Yes, there are offshoots, there are corruptions, and people have taken Christianity and they've turned it into a human religion. Keep the rules, do the right things, go to church, say your prayers, read your Bible, then God will bless you. That is not Christianity. Paul is saying, no, Christianity at its heart is about good news and news is what is announced. I got up this morning and uh, among just final preparations, it's really important for me to know exactly what's happening in the cricket. Okay. I didn't turn on the news and get told about all these things I needed to do. I got told about what had happened. Uh, Steve Smith dismissed in the 90s it's a bit tragic really fell a bit short okay Uh, but the news is announced and paul announced the news the news of the historical facts of the death and resurrection of jesus christ that's what he announced and the question is not must i do but do i accept it do i believe it will i receive it Because Paul says, every human system of blessing works on this system. I tick the boxes, I get the blessing. Biblical Christianity works on the gospel, which says, I am accepted. And so I can then obey. Obedience doesn't precede acceptance, it flows out of acceptance. Can you see how that's radically different? So the motivation in the first is to be good enough. The motivation in the second is a response to the love that God has given us freely. Can you see how that works differently? The first one says, you better keep striving. The second one says, it's all been done for you. There is a radical difference. How is that acceptance made possible? Well, Paul tells us here that Christ died and rose as our substitute in our place. We'll come back to that. But here, he introduces the Holy Spirit. Now, we're called Trinity Church, okay, and with all Orthodox Christianity, we believe that we have one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul introduces the Spirit here. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about the Spirit. The Spirit is God, It's not an impersonal force, it's not an it, it is a he. You can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can't grieve an impersonal force. And here, Paul links the gift of the Spirit to the blessing that God promises. Okay. One of the ways I find it really helpful to think about what the Spirit does in our life, what he does, is the little slogan that I've come across, I don't think it's mine, What Jesus made possible through his death and resurrection, the spirit makes actual. So he takes what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago on the cross outside of Jerusalem and brings the fruit of what Christ did into every Christian heart. And this is what Paul is saying. Verse 2, effectively he's saying, how did you start? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, when you became a Christian, for Paul, to have the Spirit is to be a Christian. There is no option of being a Christian without the Spirit. Neither is there an option of having the Spirit without actually having faith in Christ. He's actually there saying, how did you start in the Christian faith? Was it by obeying the law or through faith? He knows the answer. It's through faith. Then he goes on. He says, how will you finish? Verse three, he says this, are you so foolish after, believing, after by beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? He's going to say, okay, you got in by faith. Can you finish by the law? Now, if you know what Paul talks about when he talks about the flesh, he talks about that humanness that is opposed to God. Is it capable to finish in the Christian life by means of the flesh? Is that possible? It's kind of like saying, I'm going to commit myself to stay sober by only drinking whiskey. Kind of like what? Or I'm going to commit myself to staying under the speed limit by making sure the accelerator is flat to the floor. The very thing that is actually going to destroy your capacity to to keep that commitment. Can you finish in the Christian life by the strength of the human opposition to God? No, you do it by ongoing faith in Christ. And verse 5. How is God at work in you now, Paul asks. I ask you, does God give his spirit and work miracles amongst you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? What are the miracles? My bet is that the miracles that Paul himself performed amongst them to validate his ministry. He talks in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I persevered in demonstrating you amongst you the marks of a true apostle. Including signs and wonders and miracles. He's drawing, I think, attention to the fact that God validated the gospel that he preached, which was Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. And he says, What does God do amongst you now? Does he do it through the law or does he do it through faith? He does it through faith. But what about the law? What about the law? Now, when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the Old Testament legislation. He's particularly focusing in upon what these teachers are saying you've got to have. It appears that they weren't necessarily insisting on everything, that they were actually coming in and saying, you've got to have a few kind of markers. Okay, You've got to have circumcision if you're a bloke. You've got to have the Sabbath. You've got to have the festivals. You've got to have the dietary laws, okay? But what's Paul say about this? Look at verse 10. He says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, this is from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy meaning second law, the second time the law is repeated. The law itself says that if you don't tick the boxes, you're under a curse, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Okay, the law cannot save because it has a 100% pass mark and no one gets there. It's not negotiable. You can't come in and go, well, what about 50%? Well, you either break the law or you keep the law. And if you break it in just a little way, you've still broken the law and you're still guilty you're still justly condemned. The law cannot earn us righteousness. We can reduce the law. We can make it into some rules like the Pharisees did in the New Testament and they make it into something that's a bit more manageable. The Apostle Paul had been a Pharisee and in Philippians chapter three, he actually looks at his achievements and he says this, he says, as for legalistic righteousness, he was faultless. He ticked all the boxes, but then when he saw what God had done in Christ, he realized he'd been fooling himself. And he said it was just rubbish. It was manure. He actually uses a word that's a bit stronger than that, but the, new, the, the tr- English translations don't like translating it. He tells them exactly what he thought of everything he had achieved. He realized just how far he fell short, even though he thought he made it. Paul says the law cannot get you right with God. But then verse 11, he actually tells us that it was never meant to be a path to blessing. He says, clearly no one who relies upon the law is justified before God. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. Those in a right relationship will actually live by faith. So he actually is saying to them the law is not the right tool for the job. If you want to get right with God, it's not about keeping rules. It's actually about putting your faith in the promises of the gospel. And then he goes on in verse 12 and he tells us that it was never God's plan to do this. The law is not based on faith. In contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. That's a quote from Leviticus. But... What we see in history is that none of God's people did those things. None of, those people, none of God's people were able to do those things. It was never God's plan to make us right with him through giving us a bunch of rules. That's what Paul is saying. It's the wrong tool for the job. What's the right tool? Faith. Faith. But you can imagine the objections and they're there because Paul answers them. But the law, they say, the law is there. The Old Testament's full of it. What do we do with that? Well, let's have a look. Verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham Through a promise. Basically, he's saying God promised first to bless Abraham through a promise. He didn't give him a bunch of rules, he gave him a promise. And we read that promise in Genesis 15 this morning. God made a promise, and it says in verse 6, quoted here in in Galatians 3 Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, it was regarded to him as being a right relationship with God. It was the right way to relate to this God. Blessing came through the promise, and the law came in 430 years later. It doesn't overturn the promise that was made. God is not changing the rules. This is not some kind of a fancy switch. It's like I was walking through... um, Westfield uh, Marion, Westfield Marion yesterday, and someone came up and said, oh, do you want five free chicken skewers? (sighs) Okay, I don't know how you react to this kind of thing. What's the first thing that goes through your brain? As if, what's the catch? There's always got to be something. Um, In a former life, I was a physiotherapist. I was very good at uh, tricking people into doing what I wanted them to do. They actually trained us. Here's a bit of trivia for you. We did six months. I did psychology for four years, but six months of that was trained. We were trained to um, actually manipulate you, Uh, not physically, but psychologically, to get you to do what we wanted to do. And these people are masters. This is not what God is doing. He's not coming in and saying, it's free but you've actually got to buy another 10. (laughs) It's free, but there's all these rules you've got to keep. Now he's coming in and he says it's free, and it's free, and it's free. God is not scamming you. God is not lying. He says it's a promise, and if the inheritance depends on the law, Paul says it no longer depends on the promise. Effectively, you've making God out to be a liar. He's someone who is not keeping his promise, but God in his grave. Grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. The law's there, yes. But it's not there to justify us. So why give us the law? And this is what Paul actually turns his attention to at the end of our passage. Why then was the law given at all? Why circumcision? Why the Sabbath? Why the Ten Commandments? Why the rules and regulations? It was added, Paul says, because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law given through angels and entrusted to a mediator, we're not going to talk about that, you can ask me about it later, a mediator implies more than one person, but God is one. Is the law opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come through the law. But scripture locked up everything under the control of sin so that what might be promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So why the law? Because of transgressions. Because of human sinfulness. Now, let me give you an illustration that I think makes this pretty clear. Imagine you go to the hospital with your arm looking something like that. And they go in and they they zap you with the x-rays, and they come out and say, surprise, surprise, you've broken your arm. Uh, Can I say, if you're a doctor and you didn't know that, there's probably something wrong with you. Um, The arm would be somewhat disfigured at that point. But the x-ray is a diagnosis, isn't it? If they said, great, you've got an arm, you've got a broken arm, off you go. What about treatment? Well, we've given you an x-ray, but it doesn't solve anything. It just shows me that I've got a massive, great breakthrough in my ulnar, I think. that That's my ulnar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Look at the orthopedic surgeon here. Uh, good that you know that. I've got a bit more of an excuse. Um, the law, Paul is saying, is diagnosis, not treatment. It's diagnosis, not treatment. It's there to show the problem. It's not there to cure the problem. It's there to actually make us look for the solution. So the law convicts us of sin. It demonstrates our inability to meet the rules, to actually be good enough for God. It vividly demonstrates that. And it drives us to the solution, which is Christ. The promise that is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe that is what Paul says the law is there for it is there to push us to look for the solution to drive us to look for the fix that the law itself could never do but Christ alone the promised seed could we feel that don't we we feel the burden Even if you're not a particularly religious person this morning, you feel the burden of the law, even if it's just the law of your parents' expectations or your own expectations of yourself or the self-help book that I've got lots of them that you've once again read and you've once again failed to implement. You feel the weight of it. You feel the conviction that comes and you feel the need for another path. It is not just try harder. Well, what does God say? He says, Trust me, I've done it for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news about what God did in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Back to verse 6. Abram believed God, faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abram. So if you're someone who has faith in Christ this morning, you are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. This is Genesis 12. All the nations will be blessed through you. So all who rely on faith are blessed along Abraham. With faith, we plug into the same promises that God made to Abraham. Because he made them to be fulfilled in Christ and through the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessing of God comes to us. Now, faith. We receive by faith. Have you ever had someone say to you, I wish I had your faith. I wish I had your faith. Can I say, it's not the strength of your faith that actually matters. It's the one that you trust because horribly misplaced faith goes wrong. Let me give you an example. Now, can I just say, I ran this past my family, they gave me full permission to give you this illustration. Okay, in the Middle Ages, some doctors believed that like cures like, okay? So when confronted by the Black Death, which they thought was caused by deadly vapors, They were convinced that the key to fighting the disease was a bit of therapeutic stink, okay? Some people urged them to keep goats in the family home. Others recommended flatulence stored in jars. (laughs) So there's a solution for you. Every time the deadly pestilence appears, just open the jar, take a whiff, misplaced faith. It doesn't matter how much you believe that's a good cure. It's never going to cure the plague, is it? Faith itself is not the issue. It is what your faith is actually in. That is the most important thing. And we have to ask, and if you're not a Christian here this morning, you have to ask this. Jesus is making promises. God is making promises. Blessing is found through trusting in the work of Christ. Can I trust him? Or is it just a five-free chicken skewer scam? Or some nasty physiotherapist who's trying to get you to play by the rules? But it's funny, Abraham's just like us, isn't it? Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession? What's he asking? In a polite, respectful way, he's saying, can I trust you? And you can go back and read Genesis 15, worth doing because after the bit that Margaret read for us, we'll actually see that God proves his trustworthiness. And he says to Abram, after he asks this question, okay, go and get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove and a pigeon. Doesn't tell Abram what to do, but Abraham knows exactly what to do. He cuts them in half. And we go, what is this? This is really weird. Okay, you've got Half goats, half cow, half uh, ram. He doesn't cut the birds in half, but they're there. And he splits them down the heart. Abraham knew exactly what to do because why? This was how you made a covenant or a contract. We have polite pieces of paper that talk about breaches of contract. And so when you actually have... uh, a contract, it's there that actually says this is um, this is the penalties if you break this. What did Abraham have? He had a very vivid demonstration of what was going to happen if he broke the covenant. If you don't believe me, this is from Jeremiah. This is a different covenant at a different time. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant that they made before me I will treat them like the calf they cut in two and then walked between the pieces. Because that's what you did. You cut the animals in two, you walk up the middle with the person you are making the agreement with and you're saying, if I break this, this is what's going to happen to me. Okay, you get the picture? It's pretty vivid. It's pretty vivid. But when you read in Genesis 15, Abraham falls asleep. And while he's asleep in a dream, he sees the Lord alone represented by a torch and a smoking fire pot pass between the pieces. Abraham never walks between the pieces. So what is God doing? He's actually saying, I take full responsibility. I bear the consequences for both my side of the bargain and yours. That's what God is saying. I will do this and I will bear the consequences if you break it. And Abraham did. And Isaac did. And Jacob did. And every one of God's people did because sin is universal. But then we read this in Galatians 3. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hung on a pole." Who is hung on a pole? Did Jesus break the covenant? No. Jesus is the one, the only one, who perfectly fulfilled the requirements of God. The one who earned blessing, who could tick all the boxes. Christ alone could do that. Perfectly righteous. But in Christ. God takes responsibility for the fact that we didn't keep our side of the bargain, that Abraham didn't keep his side of the bargain, that Isaac didn't keep his side of the bargain, that all people fall short of the glory of God. The law convicts us as guilty. It says that we are under a curse, that we deserve nothing but judgment, but Christ stood in our place God took the consequences. He took the curse so that we might receive the blessing. Look there, the second half of that verse. He redeemed us. Literally, he bought us out of slavery in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit, the blessing that is there. Can we trust him? Well, he stood in our place and did everything that we needed done. He bore the curse so that we might receive the blessing. Can we trust him? I believe so. So what difference does it make? I've called this sermon, Faith Brings Freedom. So let's just spend a couple of minutes teasing this out. How does it bring freedom? Well, freedom from judgment, number one. Paul, in a parallel passage in Romans chapter 8, he says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ became a curse for us so that we, through faith, might be blessed. We might never bear the consequence. We do not need to pay a penalty because it is paid in full. That's an amazing thing. But is it just the future? Is it just before judgment seat where God says, in Christ, not guilty? No, can I say, that judgment works backwards into the here and the now. If we let it, if we take the gospel out of our heads and into our hearts, let me explain. We have a generation now, a younger generation, and I don't say this to be down on you because particularly the thing i'm just going to talk about um that hates being judged you know there's there's now a whole there's a you know stop being judgy kind of thing and they're very 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 anxious that people think badly of them how does the gospel saved through christ by grace through faith how does that change Well, when I'm judged by others, there is one before whom I will never be condemned. It doesn't mean that as they judge me, as they dismiss me, that it doesn't hurt. But I know that Christ will never deny me. I know that the Father will never turn me away. Everyone else might. And yes, that hurts but God never will. So it gives us a security in the here and the now that we can face rejection without fear because we don't rely upon our peers for validation because God has given us the ultimate validation because of Christ. We are free from judgment. We are free from sin. Paul talks in verse 14 about how Christ redeemed us Sin is that natural bias against God that we will choose to reject him in every way possible. Some of us do it with shaking fists, some of us do it with polite indifference. But the Bible tells us that all of us turn away from God. But in Christ, in the punishment that he took, in this gift of the spirit that comes, we are set free from sin we are no longer constrained away from God but our hearts are realigned to him its power over us is broken and we are able to be the people he's made us to be so we're free from judgment we're free from the power of sin we're free from striving Because if I know that through faith, by God's grace, I am accepted, and that is based upon the work of Christ and not my work, I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to live up to the standards to earn God's blessing. I'm set free to live for him, to know his grace and mercy and forgiveness, to know That my standing before him is received, not achieved. It's not if we are good enough. It is because Christ is good enough. And that sets us free. It sets us free to actually obey out of love. Out of gratitude. Not because we must but because we can. John says that we love because he first loved us. How much more demonstration of that love do we need? We're free from judgment, free from the power of sin, free from striving, and we're free to live. The blessing here Paul talks about comes through the gift of the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, he makes perfect in our lives the completed work of Christ. He sets us free. His power is at work in us. And he is bearing fruit. Paul will talk about this in chapter 5. He will talk about the fruit of the Spirit born in our lives. Love, peace, faith, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. They are there. We are set free to live the best life, a life that reflects his life, that is lived in his power. And you know what the amazing thing is that Paul says elsewhere, the spirit is just a down payment. We just have the first glimpse, the first taste, the smell of the entree. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing God you are. You show yourself to be so faithful, so trustworthy, so loving, so gracious. Father, you provided our need. We were guilty, condemned, rightly so. But in Christ, you took the penalty. You took the responsibility for our breaking Our breaking the law, the law that was written on our hearts, the law that condemns us as sinners. But it was Christ that was condemned as a sinner. And through his sacrifice, we might become righteous. Father, help us to see this. Help us to live this. And help us to long for the fullness of blessing that comes to us in Christ. To look for his return. And the day that all things will be set right. And we pray this in his name. Amen.